Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Welcome to 2022, bitches. This is the year we're going to strap in and strap on and get shit done. This is Whining About Herstory, and all year long, we're going to tell you stories about amazing women that you probably haven't heard of, but definitely should have while drinking some great wine along the way. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily, and I was very good this New Year's. Ooh, I <laughs> actually I was too. You no, were, we were, yeah, good. yeah. I was, uh, I was like uh, pious compared to you because I did nothing. Mm-hmm. I did absolutely she nothing. She babysat. I threw a party, but didn't get wasted. Yeah, yeah. So it was like I don't know. Like as much as we love wine and enjoy drinking, we uh, both took we it were very responsible. easy. Yeah, I uh, I basically watched Disney movies with my. Uh, year old niece <laughs> who was yeah, why not? who was a little bummed out being away from mom so she just needed to be cuddled the whole time which I was more than happy to oblige right you're like I'm so tired with life right now yes yeah and so I finally got to watch all the Disney movies that on Disney plus I've been wanting to watch but I'm like I don't want to watch it by myself right baby counts yeah so yeah plus it keeps her entertained yeah and it you know it's then you it's can the like lights, lie to yourself colors, and be songs. like this is for her it's not for me exactly I have watched so much Doc McStuffins with the nieces now because they like little baby bums which is like a for I didn't know this was a thing because I don't have children but it's like this poorly CG animated uh series of shorts where it's like to a song you know like the wheels on the bus Mm-hmm. And then it's just like the characters on the bus. Right. Okay. Anyway. Um, and I can't do it anymore. I needed something with some kind of plot because if I had to listen to the, you know, wheels, wheels on, on the, the bus, bus for the one more yeah. goddamn time, I was going to punch a hole through the wall. <laughs> so I you uh, just redid your, 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 I know, upstairs. You I can't know do that. I can't afford to punch a hole in my wall right now. So yeah, Doc McStuffins has been awesome. And yeah, and, and then I can lie to myself and be like, it's empowering for the tiny babies that have no idea what they're watching uh, because it's a girl who's a doctor. Her mom is a doctor mm-hmm. and it's talking about like how to stay healthy and washing your hands, which apparently everyone needs to relearn. <laughs> but yeah, Doc McStuffins is the shit. Right. We're also being very responsible today. We're not drinking any wine because Emily wasn't feeling great yesterday and it's just, kind of, it's a Sunday it's two days after New Year's. We're just kind of taking a chill. I have some coffee. Emily just finished her coffee. I'm actually even though it's two in the afternoon. Really angry because uh, I think I think my niece might have gotten me sick because she like sneezed right in my face multiple times. But so if I get last sick night this week, I'm blaming Emily. Last night I had this horrible migraine and I was throwing up and I'm like I didn't drink. I didn't stay up late. I was more responsible than any other New Year's I have ever had. You know. But I think my body is like, no, it's January 1st. This is what we do. We feel like shit. We vomit on January 1st. Yeah, it's fine. It's, you know, it's just part of my cycle. And I was like, come on. Like, I didn't even have fun. I mean, I did. I had fun with the baby. But like, not the typical way. Yeah. I was so responsible. Why am I sick? This is bullshit. And so even today, I'm still kind of like, I might be dying, but good enough to record. Not good enough to drink, though. We out here. We here. But yeah, so Kelly, do you have any New Year's resolutions? 
I don't know. Like I've been thinking about this and I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like mine aren't like resolutions. They're just more like things I want to accomplish in the new year. Yeah. Like I want to, obviously I want to like finish school. Well, not finish, but like get past my classes and into my practicum. Like I want to grow our podcast, Mm -hmm. you know, continue growing our cult. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't know. Like take better care of myself. I want to lose some weight, but I'm not like, I know you're supposed to set smart goals or smart goals. What, what is it? Cause it's an acronym. What? Smart. Oh, I've, I've never heard um, of it. It, it is, it, it's literally like a goal setting thing. It's a, oh. a mnemonic acronym and it stands for specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-based. Oh, that is smart. Yeah. Um, apparently it helps get goals, but like, I don't, I don't want myself to feel like pressured. I actually, I have never so, officially set a New Year's resolution for that reason. Like, it's so more I that set goals. Yeah, it, it's more like I want to do more of this or less of this. Right. And honestly, like I've gotten a lot better at working out in the past couple years, and I want to just like keep going with that. Right. And I, I kind of just really want to get some buff arms. Like I want to get some toned arms, and so I'm just going to keep doing right. my weights like, and I would working love on to that. Learn to deadlift. See, I don't want to deadlift. I just, I like doing the, the free weights and like lifting. That's what I want to get better at that, uh, doing more on the treadmill and like increasing how fast I go and like the intensity of my mm-hmm. workouts. But then also I want to get my writing out there more, which I'm already taking some steps towards. So that's, that's like, cool. Part of me wants to make a writing goal, like, but I'm, I'm more of a creative writer. So like, it's harder, like, I feel like it's harder for me to get my stuff out there without like finding someone, but I'm like. What time do I have to I was going to say, you are also earning your master's right. and degree. And so that's why I'm like, I'll focus on the podcast this yes. year because that's, I feel like obtainable and something I can do while yeah. doing my master's. And then I'm like, maybe next year, or maybe even I'll, maybe I'll do, you know, NaNoWriMo in November because I'll be in my um, practicum by then. That's cool. I've so never done NaNoWriMo. I've done it three years. I've only completed it once. I just. And then I complete, like, I never went back to that story. I, really I got too to. much shit to do. Like I, j- just doing the research for our podcast. I had a, a coworker lot. that was like, so how much time do you spend on the podcast? I was like, oh, I never I really thought ask- about it. People have been asking me that and I'm like, I'm like, I never keep track of it because I do it sporadically like throughout the week or like two weeks leading up to when we record. So I've never like sat down and been like, okay, like I take from this time to this time, but I'm like between researching and writing. And then like, if we do a video episode, editing that, you know, like, I feel like you put more time into it because you have to edit every week. But I I mean, I've been trying to like keep up on emails and the social media and stuff like that too. So, but yeah, like I said, I'm like, it's probably minimum four hours a week yeah like so my coworker asked me that and I started to break it down and I was like how the fuck are we doing this <laughs> like there's a sizable amount of time that the podcast takes up so oh, yeah. listeners I hope you appreciate it that's why when someone was like what is your hobbies I'm like what are hobbies podcast I'm like, <laughs> I'm like is running a podcast a I mean it, it is because I like I feel like it is but it isn't like obviously because now it is a business but yeah. I really enjoyed like it's not work yeah. Because I really enjoy doing it. But yeah, like I was thinking about that and I'm like, I don't have time for hobbies. <laughs> I was going to say, like working out in the podcast, those are my extracurriculars. Because I don't have time for anything else. So my new semester starts tomorrow 
And then, like, the class that, of course, is on Mondays is, like, the really intense one. That, like, we have a quiz tomorrow. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and we're we're expected to have read, like, two chapters and, like, all this stuff. And, like, and it's funny because I, like, actually, like, fully read the syllabus. And I'm pretty sure it's the same for all classes, but... And I don't know if it's on all the other syllabuses, but I read this one because, you know, it's tomorrow. And I was like, hmm, what do I have to expect? And, like, it says, like, we expect you to spend three hours of studying for each hour you're in class. That's nine hours Jesus a week. Christ. I'm like, I don't have nine extra hours. I'm like, you're getting what I have. Yeah. But yeah, I was just like, Jesus, like, I didn't even think about that. But then I, I was talking to someone else about it and they're like, yeah, that's like, that's always what they say. Like mm-hmm. whether that's true or not is up in the air, but that, that is what it said. Like most classes will say like for every hour, it's, you know, however many. And I'm like, that's interesting. That seems unreasonable. Right. I'm like, I don't have that kind of time. Like, I was going to say, I will do it, what I can. It literally but- is a part-time job at that point because between the hours you're in class, the hours you're I mean, studying, I am that's a like 20 hours. Student. Yeah, but that's like bare minimum 20 hours a week. Yeah, because you figure I, well, this semester I'm taking four classes, each of which are three hours. So that's 12. Yeah. And then if they expect me to do nine hours for each of those classes. I'm going to stop mathing right now yeah. because that I know it's, it's a, a big number <laughs> and I don't want to think. Of, I'm not even in school, but I still have anxiety dreams about like being in college and not having a paper ready or that something. Would be 36 <laughs> hours outside of class if I'm doing nine hours per class. So that is almost a full time job. Just the outside of yeah. class work. And then with it. Oh, Lord. Stop talking yourself out of being in school. Well, I'm not. Like, there, there are other people I know that are like, oh, God, like, I, want, I just want to, like, be done. And I'm like, I do want to be done. But I'm like, we have two semesters before our practicum. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we, we're two years into this. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not at the point of giving up. I'm just like, you know what? This is what I signed up for. Well, and just going to push through it. I think it, I think it also makes a difference when it's something that you want to do for a mm-hmm. career. Like this is your training to do to, for, for your career. And right. so you're, you're motivated. It's not just about well, it's other people getting out courses, alive though, that are like, eh, and I'm like, guys, this is what we signed up for. Yeah. Um, I do have a say their name for us today and it shouldn't surprise anyone. The woman, the legend, Betty White. Just passed away on New Year's Eve at 99 years old. And honestly, Jared was the one that told me. And I was like, oh, really? So I received like an email notification. <laughs> and it like said like, you know, Betty White dies at 99. And I'm like, okay, I need to make sure that's accurate. Because, you know, like. And people, so like people have been like joking that she's dead. Right. Like on April Expe- Fool's Day well, for the past 10 and, years. you know, it's New Year's. I could see maybe be yeah. someone being like, oh, 2021 took someone else. And then I was like, no, it's real. Yeah. Honestly, like she was so notable for all for her longevity, especially at the end, where I was like, I think well, she's she gonna outlive us all. Shit, yeah, you know? and uh, so I was I was a little shocked. But here's the thing: she was 99 years old. She had a wonderful, vibrant life, an amazing right. career, and she was like. Someone asked her once, like, are you afraid to die? And she was like, No, it'll be great to see my husband again. Yeah, like it's, she, it's like she's like, I'm old. I'm not afraid to die. Like I've lived my life and. What I love is she kept on living it. Yeah. She wasn't one of those people that just like went quietly and, you know, retired somewhere. She was like, no, this is what I love doing and I'm going to do it. Yeah. 
Well, and she, you know, she's, I think she's most notably known, especially to people in our generation for Golden Girls, which mm-hmm. iconic Rose Nyland from, was it St. Cloud? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all of her weird, like Norwegian Minnesota-isms. Oh my God. But also she played a really interesting character on the Mary Tyler Moore show, which is excellent. She was uh, the happy homemaker. So she had like a Martha Stewart-esque show. Right. And her whole demeanor was, she was like so prim and proper and so sweet. But then behind the scenes, yep. she was a vicious little slut. Like she would fuck anyone's husband. She would, and, and she do it all with a smile on her face. She's like, I will bury you bitch. And it was amazing. And actually because of that role, they wanted her to play Blanche See, on I Golden heard, Girls. I heard it the other way is that they didn't want her to play Blanche. Because, she didn't want to yeah, play Blanche. Because she didn't want to be typecast as yeah. that character. Yeah. So they wanted her to play Blanche. Uh, who again is, you know, the Southern belle who sleeps with everyone, but she's a goddamn lady what? anyway. But she didn't, she's like, no, I just got done playing a character right. just like that. What I think is funny too is there were, especially like in more recent years, there were several shows that she was supposed to be like a one-off, just this is a guest appearance, like Hot in Cleveland. She was, because she was like the landlord. I've never seen that show, but I was watching like a yeah. thing last night about Betty White. And yeah, apparently it was just supposed to be like a one-time guest appearance, but everyone loved it so much that they made her a reoccurring character. And Hot in Cleveland is not the only show that's happened on. See, I didn't realize that. I thought Betty White was always supposed to be a central part of that show because she's she's a scene stealer. And her whole character is kind of going back to... uh, I love that the first time they the meet her, they're like, they're like, do I smell weed? And she's yeah. like, what are you, a cop? <laughs> but it kind of goes back to the happy homemaker because, you know, she's not this innocent little Rose Nyland character. Right. She's she's like a bad bitch. She's kind of who everyone wants to be when they're a granny. Like, smoking weed, drinking, and yeah, doing whatever what it, I want, what being, was, a, being a snarky little pain in the that, ass. Um, yeah, she was just a scene yeah. stealer, so they kept her in. I have to say... It is almost perfect that she passed away on New Year's Eve of 2021 because only Betty White could upstage an entire year and particularly New Year's Eve. The thing that makes me happy, I guess, is that it sounds like she probably just died from old age. Yeah, no. Like she it, didn't have COVID. She didn't have cancer. You know, she wasn't a drug addict. It sounds like she was just like, her body was like, I'm 99 fucking years old. I'm done. Yeah, no, and I, honestly, I think that's, you know, the the best we can hope for. She had an amazing life. She had an amazing career. She was even in the military. She served during World War II in, like, the Women's Volunteer Corps oh, or cool. something. Um, and she had, like, she four died. shows named after her. Yeah, and she died naturally. You know, it's she, li- she lived her damn life. And yeah. uh, good God, yeah. The woman, the myth, the legend, Betty White. Right. I love her in uh, The Proposal. I've she's never the, seen oh that God. movie. We, we'll have to watch that sometimes. Okay. Yeah, no, she she's hilarious. She is so fucking funny. Yeah. So, All right. Betty White. Cheers. Cheers to Betty White with our coffee. <laughs> Betty White is looking down at us and she's like, you fucking pussies. You bitches. You fucking pussies. <laughs> Next time, Betty. Okay, the next time I get drunk is dedicated to Betty White. Yes. Well, that's what I saw. Like a lot of tweets, and like they're like, "We're not getting wasted for New Year's anymore. We're getting wasted for Betty White." Yeah, no, it was it was definitely like no one was was cheering in the New Year. Our first cheers of the night was to her, if I remember right. 
But yeah, I, I love that she she's such a scene stealer that she stole the scene of an entire global event. Right. <laughs> Which is ringing. It was in the appropriate, new year. though. Oh, yeah. No, it, it was. And here's the thing. I would have been really bummed out if the first day of 2022 was like BT Dubs Bay White died. Like that would right? set a horrible tone for the entire year. Like, come on. So she she knew how to do it. Yep. She did it right. So like I'm going to end this year on a note. May we all be as fortunate. All right, well, you get to go first. I, I am. I do get to go first. And honestly, I, I talked to Kelly because I had two stories. I was trying to figure out which one do I want to be the first. first one of 2022. And I decided to do the more hardcore I mean, one. We did prep both online and now in our intro that this is the year to strap in and strap on. Yeah. So, so start it off with a bang. This story is very strap in and strap on and fuck everything energy. So I am covering, first of all, warning for linguistic butchery. This is French. Uh, I don't think I have to say a ton of French. Mine's French too, but it's not too bad. Oh God. Well, we really are strapping in and strapping on. Well, starting then let's out with just French. get French. Yeah, let's get French with it. Uh, so I am covering... Margaret de Brissot's, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I found one recorded pronunciation yep. and it was like, there were all these like subtle sounds in it where I was like, wait. Where if you're not a native speaker, you're just end? not going to get it. Is yeah. that a Z at the end? What are they saying? Uh, and this story is called Revenge is a Dish Best Served with Oranges. Mm. Alternative. Orange is the new revenge. I don't know. <laughs> I like that you come up with your own titles and I'm just yes. like, Emily can come up with the title later. Yep. Uh, so quick trigger warning for sexual assault. I don't get graphic, but it is a part of the story. So skip like halfway through the episode if you don't want to hear it. Yeah. So the Hundred Years War was a time and a half. The series of conflicts between England and France from 1337 to 1453 was actually just a part of a much larger history of England and France butting heads. They just historically have not gotten along. It's, it's been a pretty thing. bad. This time they were fighting over who had dibs to the French throne. But like a lot of I conflicts. Mean, the French? It, <laughs> yeah. Well. I know. It's been complicated. I did not people, get into it. Well, and like the problem is what would happen is, you know, like the French would be like, oh, let's send our daughter to marry the English, you know, yeah. prince. And, and then things got weird and complicated yeah it's like the it's like in uh i think it was world war one all of the major rulers involved were all cousins they were all related it's ridiculous yeah it's talk about family drama but like in a lot of conflicts it was about more than just this and things spiraled and like it was a whole thing and i'm oversimplifying the hundred years war but that's not really what this is about it's just kind of like the set piece so a lot of conflict a lot of war not a great time. And this is the world that Marguerite de Rousseau's, a French noblewoman, was living in. Specifically, she was living in her father's castle with 11 other noblewomen. And I'm imagining it was like a cool noble lady sleepover every night. It was that scene in Wreck-It Ralph 2 where all the princesses are like chilling in their jammies. Or there's, yeah, yeah, they're just like, they're having time. They're making the best of it. But then Louis de Chalon, the Prince of Orange, led his army to the castle and captured it. And I was trying to find more about the background of like what was his role because he's French, but they're French. But yeah, again, a it, lot yeah. of this stuff, it gets complicated and weird and overlaps. It wasn't strictly England versus France. There was a lot of... Anyway, 
The prince's soldiers began ransacking the castle, and when they found the noble women there, their soldiers took turns raping them. They also murdered Marguerite's mother and father. God damn it. Yup. Uh, so that is that is it for the the like violence. At least the violence we are not okay with. <laughs> All right then. Yeah. So um the soldiers continued on with their conquest, probably never expecting to see Marguerite and the other women again. After the assault, the women took refuge with the Baroness of Anjou and likely told her of the horrors that they had endured. The Baroness had some suggestions for how they could proceed and armed the women and helped them train on horseback riding and like general warring. Badassery. Yeah, yeah. There was that, there was a whole montage. Uh, it was like that scene in Mulan, you know, where she's like trying to climb up the pole and by the end, all the noble women are like, you know, at the top, just throwing leaping up to down. the pole. Yep. Yeah, it's it was amazing. They're riding their horses up the pole. Very impressive. <laughs> Meanwhile, the king's forces, led by Raoul de Gachort, uh, whatever. Gachort. I like that. G-A-U-C-O-R-T. I'm like, it's not good court. It's not good court. I know it's not. It's French. It's something else entirely. So they're advancing against Louis, or what did I say? Louis? Yeah, the Prince of Orange and his army. And as they rode across the country, they encountered a small group of black-clad riders wearing white scarves. The mysterious riders carried a black banner that featured bones, silver tears, and an orange being pierced on a lance, hmm. which read, Ansi tu sera, or Thus shall you be. Oh. This is so, there's so much pageantry to this, I and love I it, love it. Yep. Like, we're not just gonna, we're like, not just gonna do this. We're, we're not gonna just gonna be, murder people. We're gonna like let them know what's coming. Yeah. The king's forces were understandably curious about the group of black clad riders with incredibly strong feelings about oranges. Marguerite, who was leading the band, removed her helmet and revealed her identity. And she called to the king, Our hearts are strong and bent upon nothing but vengeance. Victims of the most cowardly, the most degrading outrage, we aspire to wash it out in blood. That gave me chills. I know. I'm like, oh my God. So like, what font should I get that tattooed on my body? And what part of my body should I get that tattooed on? Because that's amazing. Best mission statement ever. Like business 101. She's being very clear about what I want. These are my goals. This is who I'm all about. And Raul agreed to invite Marguerite and the other women to join his troops on May 29th, 1430. I also read that like one of... The the members of his his army was a cousin of one of the women and recognized her and was like, oh shit, this is personal. This is family shit. We're going to get real. Right. We got you girls. Yeah. This is what being an ally looks like. Right. <laughs> Inviting them to war with you. So as they traveled, the women engaged alongside Raul's troops in several battles, proving themselves adept and fierce warriors. They're not just like riding on the coattails. They are, they are the coattails. <laughs> They are the coats to which the tails are affixed. (laughs) And then finally, on June 11th, 1430, they caught up with the Prince of Orange and the women were ready to exact their revenge. Mm. The women hunted the rapists across the battlefield and executed them one by one. Good. Before killing each one, the women would unmask themselves so there was no mistake why each rapist was being killed. This wasn't just war. It was personal. It's like, I want you to know this is because of what you did to me. 
fuck you and it's me that's doing this yeah exactly yeah this isn't this isn't random this isn't just war this isn't like oh i'm in a battle and i die no i am personally fucking you with my sword i am murdering you yes fuck you this has nothing to do with the war that is ongoing nope nope you fucked with me and now you're gonna find out strap in strap on bitch i'm gonna murder you right Marguerite was mortally wounded in the battle. Oh, no. She was brought to the nuns of Salette's, uh, but it was too late, and she died and was buried with full military honors. Good. Not that we know where the hell that might be. No, of course not. Because, you know, whatever. The remaining 11 women, having exacted their revenge, in- entered the order of this, uh, the nuns of Salette's and became nuns. And, you know, they were just ready to leave behind the fighting and live pious, peaceful lives. They're like, we were in this for one reason, and that was to wipe these rapists off the face of the earth. We did that. We're good now. I'm I'm at peace. I'm coping. And now I'm going to become a nun. And I'm like, that's good for you. Good for you for being able to find peace. <laughs> While Marguerite's story is backed up by some historical accounts, and the validity of these accounts are kind of murky, like anything dating back this far. But regardless, the story of survivors rising up against their attackers is timeless and more than a little cathartic, if you couldn't tell by how excited I was telling this story. And it's also inspirational, like, even if we're not going out and, like, murdering rapists, it's like just standing up and saying, this isn't okay. You're going to be held accountable for what you have done. And that is the story of Marguerite de Berceau, who who proved that revenge is a dish best served with oranges. And that is how I am starting off 2022. Fucking shit up. Yeah. That was intense. (laughs) Yeah. Short, but intense. It was a shorty, but it was a goodie. It got, it got straight to the point. Yes. Yep. So mine's a little more... Mine's a little less storytelling and more just kind of like about this insane woman. Okay. But she's great. So I'm covering Luisa Adele Rosa Maria Aman. It's a name. That is, she's going to make you say it and you're going to run out of air no, trying to say it. Yeah. Uh, she was born in Milan. She was the youngest of two daughters of Ab- Alberto and Lucia, which I love Lucia. Mm-hmm. So she's Luisa and her mother is Lucia. Um, her father was a prosperous textile manufacturer and was made a count by King Umberto I. Ooh. So I guess that would technically make her a countess. What are your kids yeah. if you're a count? I think you inherit it. Like, like, so say, you know, your father's the count. When he, he dies, dies you're the son the ascends to be the okay. count. So... Sadly, her mother died when she was 13 and her father died two years later. So at 15, Louisa was potentially a countess, I guess. Yeah. But she's second oldest, so maybe not. But um, she's an orphan. <laughs> she's an orphan. So her and her, but her and her older sister, Francesca, reportedly became the wealthiest women in Italy because their dad's like manufacturing was that like prosperous. Prosperous. Exactly. So even from a young age, Luisa was a striking character. She they considered her very gla- glamorous, particular in particularly in Milan, which was known to be glamorous already. She was nearly six feet tall. She was slim. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's tall for back then. I think she was born in. It's tall for a woman, but also tall for back then. <laughs> yeah, I, I realized I never said a year. I should probably tell you that she was born in eighteen eighty one. Okay. In January. 
Mm. Like, where'd my document go? Um, so, so like I said, she was nearly six feet tall. She was slim and long limbed with deep auburn hair, pale skin. So, you know, yeah, very, very pretty, very model esque, exactly. And that was very in vogue back then. Mm-hmm. So though, though she cut quite a figure, she didn't always leave a pleasant impression on people. One critic described her as, quote, exceptionally tall and cadaverous with a head shaped like a dagger and a little feral face. What does a head shaped like a dagger look like? I'm literally imagining like the the, no cone, the cone heads from SNL. Yeah, I'm like, what? <laughs> so in 1900, she would marry... Um, Camillo, who is the Marquise Casata Stampa de Sonsino. So she became um, a marchioness. That's, that is the female term. Okay. Marchioness. I, I didn't know that because I know Marquis, yep. but I didn't know Marchioness. Yeah. Hmm. Um, they would go on to have one child named Christina with that full long last name. Yeah. Um, who was born just the year after they got married. Mm-hmm. Um, they would... Um, maintained separate residences the entirety of their marriage. They were legally separated in 1914, but they they would remain married until he died in 1946. So yeah. she she's married during this whole everything that's shtick. happening. Yeah. Can can I just say like I love the story of these like super wealthy people how they each have their own like estate. I know, and they just like come together every now and then for business or sex or whatever. And part of me is like, you know what? I like if I had enough money, yeah, I have my my I'm going to my rooms and you go to right. your rooms. I'm going to my wing of the house. Yeah, like I kind of dig that idea in a way because I think we all need our personal space. Right. And we all need to just like have that time where we're only responsible for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> um so Louisa was known growing up and well into her adulthood for her eccentricities, and she would delight European society for nearly three decades with them. She was beautiful and extravagant and often hosted the, the Ballet Russos, um, and she was something of a legend among her contemporaries. She would often astonish society by parading around with a pair of leashed cheetahs or wearing live snakes as jewelry. Oh my God, that's so Josephine Baker of her. <laughs> I know. So one name, one cheetah is named Chiquita. What is the other one named? Josephine, in honor. <laughs> Even though this is probably before. around the same time. Well, Actually, yeah. it would be around the, the same, same time. time. Oh my God! I hope that Josephine Baker and Louisa got their cheetahs together I for really a play date. So. <laughs> so it didn't matter where Louisa was going; she tended to grab people by the eyeballs. Paris, Venice, Capri, Rome, anywhere she went, she was esoteric and had obscure fashion sense that marvelled anyone that would look at her. And for those who had never seen her, she remained a legend due to like the mystery surrounding her. Even the great Coco Chanel was enthralled with her. Damn. So imagine going to a party and seeing a gorgeous woman with bright red hair sitting gently on a face so white and pale that she really almost does look like a cadaver. She has large green eyes darkened with black coal and glistening with drops of poisonous belladonna. Eyes that looked like they were the gateway to cosmic nothingness. Damn. I'm also imagining her as the per. Okay. Have you ever met someone at a party where they have a snake around their neck or they're wearing something really outlandish? Like, like they have a Have I ever been to a party? No. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, they're doing, they have something really outlandish and you're like, hey, 
what's up with the snake? And they're like, oh my God, can I go anywhere without people bugging me about my my snake? snake? Yeah, Yeah, like those people that are like purposely attracting attention and then being really upset when people ask about their attention grabbing snake. Right. I'm imagining she's like, oh, I wish I could just go one place with my chias without people asking me about right. them. Like she's been kind of a pain in the ass. Right. So those that know plants will notice I said that she had drops of poisonous belladonna. There are rumors. So belladonna is a poisonous plant. Yeah. And there are rumors that she either had it like, um, macerated down to be eye drops or she just took it to make her eyes wa- like look bigger and wider kind of like a stone person's would yeah yeah so like that's i don't no one can say if it's true but that's apparently something they thought she did to make her eyes look prettier yeah so louisa not only was a statement out and about in the world but she threw amazing parties that would become legendary so besides the cheetahs and the snakes she collected a menagerie of exotic animals, panthers, you know, like literally like anything you lions, can think of. Lions, tigers, she, and she bears, has lion oh cubs. Oh my God. She would also patronize fat, like famous fashion designers and ask them to like make her crazy outfits. Um, She at one point lived on, in the Villa San Michael on Capri, which is like a little Italian island. Um, And during her time on that island, she had a very like tolerant home so she would like let in a wide collection of artists gay men lesbians in exile like all of these people that weren't really accepted by greater society she was like no come hang out at my villa even though she was renting it from axel month who he's a famous um doctor oh okay and apparently like he was kind of unwilling but at the same time he was like well you have a lot of money so yeah you know but yeah so apparently her home when she lived there um, for, she and she only lived there for about two years. Um, it was, but it was very like much like a haven for kind of outcasts. French class, right? Yeah. So at one point, she commissioned the costume designer of the Russian ballet or the ballet, the Ballets Russes, to create um one of her more outrageous out outfits. Notably, it was one made of tiny electric light bulbs. Um, it actually ended up short circuiting and gave her an electric shock so powerful it forced her into a backwards somersault. Oh my God. Yeah. So what it looked like is the bulbs were at the tips of hundreds of like arrows that pierced a silver suit of armor. Um, so like it was insane. Like, so it just looked like she was in a suit of armor that was pierced by all these arrows and it was intended to show her credential as a futurist which is a group of artists that welcomed this like new age of machine that was really like yeah. it was a style at the time. I love that she's like, yeah, y'all are living in the year 1900 and something and I'm living in the year 2022, right? bitches. <laughs> Here, here's the other thing that I'm noticing. Like she's super outrageous, like with her outfits. And it makes me think of Lady Gaga. That's what they with- called her. Shut well, they, shut they, the fuck up. Nowadays, they call her like the Lady Gaga of like the 19th century, basically. Okay, which is funny because people who, you know, were around for Madonna were like, well, Lady Gaga's just doing what Madonna did. And I'm like, clearly Madonna's yeah, doing Madonna what Madonna was just doing. What, she's like the OG. Yeah, she is. I, I, when you said they made her a crazy outfit, I'm like, meat dress, meat dress, meat dress, meat I mean, dress. There's a lot of crazy outfits. <laughs> um, she was also fascinated by the occult. She would always carry around a crystal ball and she got, she started collecting wax replicas of herself, like little ones, but then oh she also God. got a life-size one 
with a wig made from her own hair. Oh my God. And when hosting dinner parties and like other parties, she would often sit next to the figure and in dim candlelight, her, the guests would struggle to make out which one was actually her. That is so she was that pale. funny. Right? Um, so another one of her insane outfits, she actually wore to a ball in Paris. And this was a, like in a very exclusive list. Like, so this was people like Coco Chanel, or Coco Chanel was even excluded from this ball because she was too, what is known as trade, which is kind of out there. But somehow Louisa got in. I was going to say, I don't, I, I don't know a ton about Coco Chanel, but was she more out there than this bitch? I don't think so. <laughs> um, but this ball was basically an homage to Picasso and Cubis. And I, um, Picasso had been to one of the parties and I mentioned it later. So I think they, you know, they were kind of friends. So maybe that's why she got in. But this was another um, outfit made with wires and lights and stuff. And apparently it was too wide for the ballroom entrance. And the artist Christian Bernard said that she he witnessed Louisa attempting to get through the doorway. Um, but she couldn't and she collapsed and looked like a smushed Zeppelin. Oh my God. Like, I just want to see that. That sounds hilarious. I was going to say... This woman was made for Instagram. Oh yeah, before no. Instagram could even be conceivable. I have two two more outfits to talk about. One of them was a gown of egret plumes that molted as she moved. That included a headdress of white peacock feathers, accessorized by the blood of a freshly slaughtered chicken. What? Yep. And then at the Grand Canyon, she wore leopard skin trousers, a sombrero, and a lace veil. Jesus, okay. I can't even begin to like put that together in my mind. Like I, I I view it like I can see the pants, I can see the hat, I can see the veil, but I'm having a hard time putting, putting them all together. together in my head because right? it's so absurd. Yeah. She liked to walk the line between like being unconventional but also like attempting to shock people. Yeah. Um, so obviously she was a muse for a lot of artists at the time. Um, like there was a bunch of, there's a long list and I'm like, I don't know many of these people. It's funny because I, th- this is probably in the, the twenties, thirties. Yeah. That, we're in the 19. Yeah. With the, aughts, with the lost yep. generation. And yeah, it was like all those artists getting together. And if you were like, if you were a wealthy eccentric woman, who was pretty like you were no, someone's muse. Right. And so the only one I actually recognized from like the list was man Ray, who was like yeah. the guy who developed the camera. Yeah. And I'm like, I recognize that name. But so basically like, and it wasn't just painters, painters, sculptors, like artists of all type were really drawn to her. And, um, a lot, a lot of it was because she had a wish to commission her own immortality. So she would pay them to paint these paint or sculpt, um, pictures for her. And so she became, um, a muse, but, it, it wasn't her image was not all vain because she um, also like tried to make things better. So like she was different than a lot of other female muses at the time as she was a- an active involvement in the life of the artists she worked with. Like, so she wouldn't just go in, sit for a painting and then like never see them again she would spend time with them, you know, like party with them. And so she like, she gave them a piece of herself and sometimes quite literally she, she did get romantically entangled with quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. Particularly um, she met and fell in love with Gabrielle De Annunzio, who's an Italian poet, playwright and writer. She would become his muse for um, 
quite a long time and he actually had a significant influence on her extravagant tastes. Um, and obviously that was kind of controversial too, because she's still married. Like, and yeah. so she was like with this guy, but she was controversial. She was scandalous. She owned exotic pets through lavish parties and she spent a lot of money building large homes because obviously she had to hold all these animals. Yeah. Yeah. So when she got tired of being in the best clothes, she would often just take them off and treat people with a nude walk. She would often walk around Venice naked under a fur coat with her cheetahs. Oh, I kind of love that. <laughs> like, it's just, it's super absurd. Yeah. And also, I mean, they didn't have sweatpants back then. You couldn't just, like, get in your joggers and go right? out and, like, have a sweatpants day. It was either you were in really tight-fitting, uncomfortable clothing or you're naked. Right. So, as I mentioned, Pablo Picasso attended one of her dinner parties. It was April 1917, so three years into World War I. Mm-hmm. This is where we're at. This is the quote. So, this is um, Judith Mackerel writing in a book about, like, the house the Marchesa lived in. Mm-hmm. But it says this, quote, It was so preposterous a contrast to the shell-shocked Paris that Picasso had recently left that he retained a precise visual memory of it for the rest of his life. Forty years later, he could still recall the footmen in their 18th century livery who'd thrown copper fillings into the dining room fires in order to turn the flames green. The massive boa constrictor that had lounged in golden coils on a polar bear skin rug, and above all, the startling appearance of Louisa herself— dressed in a pearl-embroidered gown with a stiff Elizabethan ruff and a neckline that plunged to her navel. Damn. Yeah, and this is during, like, World War One. Yeah. So, obviously, all of this that I've mentioned really kind of tied Louisa into the gossip pages. Like, she was never far from a scandal or, you know, on somebody's lips talking about her. Well, even today, I feel like someone... Like some of the things that she's doing wouldn't be noteworthy today, but a lot of them would be. I mean, just the idea of like her her crazy outfits, um, her having life-sized wax figures made of her. Like we would be talking about that today. Right. So Judith, the same like biographer says this, as ludicrous as some of her behavior was and as senselessly extravagant, what I love about her is there is there is no vulgarity about it. There was a purity in her desire to be a work of art and nothing else. Although she loved the publicity, it was sort of an oxygen for her project. She needed an audience. She saw it the way an actor or a theater director needs an audience, not to seek celebrity. If you painted her picture or she bought one of your works, that gave you a real cachet. Like, she be, you know, she helped artists become popular, basically. Yeah. And honestly, uh, Louisa actually encouraged this rumoring and, like, mythologizing her. Um, however, it did, it does make her biography a lot harder to, un, like, to kind of weed out and pick out, like, what is true what is false what is half true what is yeah so a lot of people that have tried to write biographies about her like are like "Eh," because she didn't write a lot about herself so it's hard to know what's real and what's not how do you separate the lady from the legend and and we, we we see this in a lot of the women we cover who uh kind of mythologize themselves especially like their backstories and things no one quite knows the truth and at some point I feel like even they don't really know yeah so um Judith who like I said she wrote more about 
like one of the houses she lived in, but obviously a lot of that had to do with Louisa. She even says, she's like, it was frustrating because there's so little of her own recorded voice in terms of diaries or letters. So there had to be some sifting through of evidence of comparing some of the more outrageously fabricated stories against other versions to try and arrive at what seemed most plausible. Yeah. Well, and when you've kind of cultivated this, this image of yourself as being outrageous, right? someone could make something up that's totally absurd and people would be like, I could totally see that. Right. Well, and the thing about Louisa is she was actually like really shy and that's so she, like, it doesn't sound like she would be, but like she wanted to be a work of art. Like yeah. she wasn't like, uh, like they mentioned, she didn't want to be popular. She didn't want to be a celebrity. She wanted to be a living work of art. Which it kind of sounds like she's just out there. Exactly. Doing and so, her like, thing. These rumors, you know, that kind of gave her that mystique and obscured her. So she could still be shy because people didn't really know what she was about. Yeah. It's like Sia with her wig. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, like she she was OK. She leaned into it. And even then, it that's not really the point. Like I said, Louisa welcomed not only the rumors, but those who would spread the rumors about her mm-hmm. and about her excess and her decadence into embroidered. So, like, there are, like I said, the walking through Venice at night, naked but a fur cloak with her pet cheetahs. Is it real? Is it not? Well, Another... how do they know if she's naked if she's wearing a fur exactly. coat? There were other rumors that some of her, she had painted some of her um, servants like golden for one of her parties and that the paint ended up do- toxic and they died. No one knows. I'm like, I feel like that one you could corroborate, but apparently no one actually knows. Yeah, I mean, it happens to the rich, tin man. you can cover shit up. Yeah. So it's very, very interesting. Um, you know, and it's just... But she was, so um, Judith says she was allowed to become this remarkable creature by virtue of this extraordinary wealth that she had. And also because of the fact that society was beginning to shift at the end of the 19th century and early 20th century. There were cracks and openings in that Victorian exterior that allowed a woman like her to use her money to do something extraordinary. In earlier times, she probably would have just been crushed. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's really interesting because this is the environment where all those artists were getting together, uh, right. the lost generation, and things were getting like, they, they were partying, especially with the coming of the 1920s. A lot of those right. traditional female values of like long hair and covering up gave way to the flapper style. And because she has money, she has a cushion. She is almost above societal right. norms and judgment because she, she doesn't money. need it. But yeah. she did become like, she. I feel like she really was in that sweet spot where like yeah instead of being completely ostracized and shunned from society they were like oh look at this this is new and weird yeah yeah you know um she was a spectacle exactly however her in her decadence really did catch up with her and in 1930 her debt had risen to a whopping 25 million oh my god so the weight of her debt unfortunately uh, meant that she had to sell most of her prized possessions and she ended up moving to london where she would spend the rest of her life her life in London was a lot quieter, obviously. She didn't have any money, um, but she didn't lose her magic. Uh, she continued to, like, wear outrageous outfits that, you know, she either made herself or she bought cheap. Some people say, like, there's rumors that she was spotted, like, digging through dumpsters for bits of, like, lace and feathers to put in her hair and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but she continued to, like, while she wasn't throwing dinner parties, she still continued to, like, do stuff that people were, like, Oh, like, what is she doing? 
Um, Louisa would go on to die of a stroke in 1957 at the age of 76. Jeez. She was buried with one of her... Um, one of her... Pekingese dogs. I was going to say was, one of her golden um, servants. Embalmed <laughs> in a pair of false eyelashes because she was also known for wearing like... Sometimes multiple pairs oh, of God. false eyelashes. Oh, God. I thought eyelashes. you meant the dog was no. wearing false eyelashes. I'm like, okay, that's a little much. Right. I think we reached Emily's line of absurdity. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, a requiem mass was held in her honor, and she is buried at the Brom- Brompton Cemetery. Inscribed on her grave, which the grave is like a vase with a bunch of flowers and like a cloth over it. It's, it's pretty. Um, it says, age cannot wither her nor custom stale her infinite variety which is a line from Shakespeare's Antony and Cleopatra which I, I feel like is very she kind of has this Cleopatra energy about her because she's almost ethereal in her beauty her mystique right her her power but also right. like so very mysterious so she is a little bit more famous than some of the women we cover because her legend does still live on today her like paintings of her survive people do know who she is but I thought you know, bringing in the new year on a, some party lady that's that she's insane. Like, look, look up some pictures of her. Like, she's interesting. Like, it was, and she was gorgeous. Um, but her influence on the world and the arts can like continue to live on, you know. And I found this line that somebody somebody wrote in one of their our articles, and they said, When people start wearing snakes as necklaces a hundred years from now, we would turn our necks, look back, and applaud the marchioness for her undying genius. And I'm like, I will never wear a snake as a necklace. No, thank you. I mean like maybe Brit- a fake snake. Britney Spears with the with the albino boa yeah. constrictor. That was I mean, you can see those influences of kind of that absurdist right? pageantry and how you're dressing, behaving, or accessorizing. In, like we said, Madonna, Lady Gaga, Britney Spears. Um, right. It, and and that's just, even she reminds me a little bit of Nina Clifford, who yeah. I covered way back, um, because she was also a muse in that period, and she right. was known for wearing headscarves and, like, l- big, thick bangles all, like, all the way up to her elbows. And her, her look was not as extreme as it sounds like Louisa's was. Right. But still, that whole, like having the privilege to experiment and to tread outside right. the box of what was considered polite for society at the time. Right. Well, and I like that she kind of played into her, her like really paleness by yeah. like kind of doing the shocking things. But yeah, so that was Luisa Marchesa Casita Stampa de Soncino, an Italian heiress, muse and patroness of the arts. Good God. Okay, so these are the two moods for 2020. Revenge. Revenge. And partying. And partying. So you you exact your revenge and, and then, then you party, party about, about, it. about it. Yeah. That's what we got, guys. I, I like this energy that we're starting off I with because I, be I kind of want all of it as my aesthetic. Good. That's what we're going to achieve. <laughs> yes. I'm going to ride on horseback in black with a snake around my neck. Hold a bunch of rapists accountable, and then I'm going to have a party and have a bunch of people sculpt me into wax. Exactly. Instead of the like white, um, the white scarves, it'll be a a white white boa boa constrictor. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It might just be a white feather boa. Let's just say that. (laughs) I I'm I don't want the I don't trust myself to manage a snake, especially like on horseback. No, thank you. Yeah, I honestly I don't want to scare the snake. I don't want to scare the horse. Both. (laughs) Both can kill you. Yeah. So, Kelly, what are you thankful for? Um, 
really thankful for you because I know on fr- like we were supposed to record Friday and I like straight up just told Emily I'm like my week has been shit like I've been in a really bad depressive rut like I'm like I just I didn't do any work and I just I can't like and I I had thought about like trying to like pump out a short story but I'm just like I would be so just low energy and meh that it wouldn't make a good good episode and Emily was so like nice and just being like no I totally understand like you do you like it's fine we'll you know either we'll skip one or we'll record a different time and we we managed to and I'm I am feeling a lot better now I didn't think I would be because I was a little worried because like we hosted a party and I was like I don't know if I have the energy for this but it actually ended up being really good like some people ended up not being able to come so it was a lot smaller than it has been in previous years which is probably a good thing yeah and I mean people got really drunk but it was it was nice like there was a lot of talking and I got to see people I haven't seen in a while and it was just it was good that's awesome so I'm just I'm thankful for you and I'm thankful for like I don't know feeling better yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things you really appreciate uh, feeling good or even feeling on even keel after you feel like shit. Normal. Yeah, like seriously, it, I never appreciate the moments when I'm not feeling nauseous more than when I'm actually feeling nauseous. Right. Well, and it's like the whole you can't really have true happiness without sadness because yeah. you wouldn't know what the happiness felt like. Yeah. Um, I am thankful that I got to spend some time with my niece. Uh, we've only had her over one other time and she, you know, she's a pandemic baby. She doesn't get out a lot. She's a little under socialized. She's also got more of an introvert personality. Uh, so she was definitely kind of sad and like missing mom. And so there, we cuddled a lot and actually it made me feel so good because I would put her down. And then like walk away to do something. And she would like, and she wasn't even really crying. She was like, like whining whining, yeah yeah. and she was like reaching up for me because she's just like auntie m i just want you to hold me and i'm like oh my god you're breaking my heart and i love it right you're like i need to do stuff but i took her to uh there was a you because it's really cold so i couldn't take her to a park or anything like i would have wanted to right and a lot of the indoor play activities and things are closed because of covid but the local children's museum had this you know new year's eve party event and i took her to that and even though I had to hold her basically the entire time, I, I got That's adorable though. I got her to play by putting her down and then like walking through stuff. And she would like whine as she followed me with her hands, like pick me up. But I think it was good for her. She doesn't get out a lot. Uh, I danced with her a lot and she really enjoyed that. So I'm really glad I got to spend that time with her. Also, yeah. uh, we watched a bunch of Disney movies. Everyone go watch Encanto. It's really good. I really good. want to. That's on my I, list. Here's the thing. I will rewatch it with you because there were a few points where she got kind of sad and I couldn't hear the music as much. <laughs> so I, I need to rewatch it. I was telling Emily that I finally just watched Onward. Like, and yeah. I wanted to since it, like it came out and now that was really good. It was a good movie. Yeah. I definitely cried at the end. I won't give it away, but yeah, it was a good A one. lot of like... I would say like 90% of movies that start with the word Pixar are going to make you cry. A hundred percent. These are facts. (laughs) Like I was watching, there's a channel on YouTube called um, Cinema Therapy, where it's a therapist and a filmmaker and they watch films and they talk about it. And that's actually where I got that line from. And they were like, oh, look, it says Pixar in front of it. I'm going to cry. Yep. Yep. And these are adult men. And I'm like, oh my God, I love you. It's so funny because Pixar is all like has this reputation for like making you bitch 
cry well, in the, the first 10 so minutes into their story like they're so the well written and they're so well like drawn and the music and the characters and so you get attached yeah well and it's not always sad crying like there are plenty of moments in pixar films that are like a happy like oh, you know yeah like. it's a lot of feelings all right well thank you so much for joining us for the first episode of 2022 yeah like I honestly, I like everyone's kind of like, ooh, 2022, it's scary. And I get that because 2020 was was a bitch. 2021 was crazy. 2021 was like slightly better. So yeah. I'm like, maybe, you know, we're just but here's the thing. Go balls to the wall and make it the best. All I can do is control the things in my immediate sphere. Yeah. And I'm just going to try to create a positive influence in my immediate sphere. That is gonna be my okay, focus. Little, little positivity bubbles. Yeah, it's fine. So 2022. Kill oranges and party like a bitch. All right. Party like a bad bitch. Let's do this. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. Please rate us five stars wherever you listen, which now includes Spotify. What? Yeah, you can rate on Spotify now. Do so it. if you listen do it on now. Spotify, please go rate us. Yeah, just please. I need that. Uh, also follow us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAH Pod, Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is Whining About Herstory. Dot com. And our email is whiningabouthistory at gmail.com where we would love to hear from you. We also have a Patreon where you can donate for as little as $1 and become a funerista or funerarian. And, you know, keep the wine flowing. We also have a merch store that you can find on our website on the merch tab. I am actually wearing one of our shirts. It's the uh, fleet free flying spinster on the fringe. Mm. And it is like one of my favorite shirts now. I wish I could wear it to work. But one, it shows my belly button a little bit and it's not like work appropriate. It's cute, though. It's cute as hell. Yeah, they have some really cute styles on our merch. Yeah, store. I'm very excited. I also love my uh, my get re- get ready for some linguistic butchery sweatshirt. Yeah, I love oh, my sweatshirt, so too. Much. It's so soft. All right. Uh, well, Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day, lovelies. Bye. Bye.